Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. I think the word for that's delightful. That was delightful. Thanks, ladies. That's awesome. Um, well, I would like to invite one of uh, God's wonderful people uh, up front with me, uh, Steve Luma. Uh, where you at, brother? Uh, while he's coming up, uh, I just want to uh, kind of advertise, promote a starting point. If you've been here for a short time at Wapak Naz and you're really curious about um, this group of wonderful people, uh, this body of Christ, um, and... Uh, this is an opportunity, it's a 20,000 feet off the ground kind of moment right over here in our Sunday school room following uh, the service on the 15th. Um, and we just kind of want to let you know our mission, vision, values and how you can get really connected with that. And uh, this is a young man, uh, Steve Luma. Um, what's up, brother? Going on, man. How are you? Good. Yeah. Good. All right, you're dismissed. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Man, uh, I appreciate Steve. He, he dropped by yesterday after uh, helping uh, Brittany move uh, out, out of uh, Fern's place. He dropped by my place and brought me some, some curry that he bought off the internet. Um, oh, yeah. So I'm really excited about that. I appreciate that. Uh, but, uh, man, last, it was last Sunday night. We were in here um, praying during encounter. Um, my, my, my life group was, was uh, unfortunately canceled due to a lot of illness. And so I came in and was a part of Encounter that night. And uh, I was standing in the back, uh, right, behind, like, right behind Grandpa and his weevils back there. And I, I, was, I was against the wall. And uh, I looked up, and my brother, Luma, uh, the Luminator, was down here on his knees uh, praying. And uh, I just was like, man, we need to hear his story. And so uh, I, I threw it out there. If you're new here, I don't twist your arm, man. I, I, I don't twist your arm. So just because the pastor asks you to do something. <laughs> brother, just because the, the pastor asks you to do something, um, I, I understand. You know, I respect your no. Um, I may push you a little bit, but I respect your no. And I said, hey, dude, I don't know. Um, would you mind sharing a little bit of your story? like I don't really have a story to tell I said yeah you do um, so I said pray about it talk to me on Wednesday and so we talked a little bit on Wednesday and, and here we are and at the end of that meeting um, he was like yeah I do have a story a little bit <laughs> so uh, Steve man um, how, you've been coming to Wapak Nights for how long probably since early uh, 2018 early 18 um, but that wasn't your first, your first contact with Wapak Naz, was it? No. Uh, so when I was a kid, uh, my great aunt, Lila, she used to bring my mom here. My mom brought us here. I remember sitting somewhere in the background where Nathan Wisner is over here, looking up and <laughs> checking out the lights. Just thinking, wow, this is so cool. Not paying attention to what the pastor was saying. Yeah, that but, hasn't um, changed. So that was when we first, when I first started coming, and then what? they had the old school bus, yeah. old school blue uh, school bus that used to drive around. Uh, it seemed like I was always somewhere where I could hop on that, or if not that, my aunt used to live on a diagonal here on Court Street, so we would walk over with her kids and go to the basement. Miss Virginia would teach us down in Sunday school. That was you. If you were a part of that, that bus, that bus ministry, uh, or your family was connected to that bus ministry, 
can you please, or you came as a result of that bus ministry? Jamie, Katie, <clears throat> could you raise your hands, please? Please, please raise them high. If you funded that bus ministry by your tithes and offerings, can you please raise your hand high? Please, raise them up. If that was you, raise them up. Thank you. Yep. You didn't realize the impact, what, 30 years ago, um, 25, 30 years ago, that that would have on the lives of people right now and their families. Um, and so you started rolling back here in, in 18. Um, why, did you, why did you and your, your then fiancé, now wife, start, start coming back to Wapak, Madison? remember kind of your first experience when you came back in? I don't think we talked about that. No, you know, uh, I remember Jim Johnson taking Katie's hand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um. Made you keep coming back. Yeah. Um, as we, so you and Katie, uh, you were, sorry, um, you and Katie were uh, engaged at the time, and uh, I think you were looking for somebody to to sign the the marriage certificate. Um, put their uh, their scribblies on there at the bottom of the uh, of the sheet and, and you you talked to me and as a result of that conversation you and Katie um, and I started meeting together almost almost weekly um, and uh, in that eight-week Bible study as well as counseling 52 week Bible uh, Matthew we're changing the name of this it's, it's not the trek anymore it's the 52 week eight-week Bible study oh man Jeez, you people. Ah, can't take you anywhere. This is why we cannot have nice things. <laughs> His were actually probably 16 to <laughs> <laughs> So true. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so I asked you on Wednesday, I was like, man, when did, when did, when did your faith um, actually take root for you? Um, I know you, you and I talked a lot about your journey prior to even coming here, and, and, and we're not going to get into that, but when did your faith take root um, during that time? Probably within the first week or two of coming back, I devote my life to serving God again. And as a result of that, what, what did, I guess, what did you do um, personally? Uh, in your private time, uh, spiritually, and what are the results of that in your life that you've seen? I just started praying and asking God to put me where I should be, lead me to where He has designed for me to, to be right now. And, and you work at um, Airstream, and you had just gotten a job there, right? got the job at Airstream, that's right, because you were getting interviewed at a couple different places, and you got that job, and then in a span of time, you got promoted, didn't you? Um, yeah, I, I applied for a safety coordinator position with Airstream. 
but while you were there at Airstream, and you forgot about this when we were talking, while you were there at Airstream, you kind of stepped out in something to create something with some of the guys at Airstream. What, what, did, what did you create when you, when you first started there? So I found out I worked with a couple Christian guys. Um, one of them I didn't know until he came here and was singing on stage, Andy Kent. Yeah. Um, he works for Airstream. My friend Tim Robinson, he worked in the same department as me. Andy worked pretty close to me. And how often would you guys meet and pray over each other and for the people that you work with? Every month. It, it wasn't just for each other. It was for the company and whatever crops were and what we can save for to go to work later. Yeah. What has following Jesus, making that decision um, way back in 18, what have you seen take root in your life and how has that shaped you? You're on the spot here. Yeah, yeah. I'll take a drink while you're thinking. Uh, so, <laughs> how, has, how has Christ transformed you, man? So I feel like I've eliminated a lot of things from my life that were not good for me. had some of those discussions, haven't we? Um, how have you stepped out in your faith here? Uh, I went to coffee one morning with Matthew. Don't ever go to coffee with Matthew. Because he doesn't drink coffee. What's engaged, by the way? It's the team ministry here at Bartlett. So you went over and you checked it out, and you you went back again, and then you went back again, um, and and now, how long has it been since you've gone since your first time? Eighteen months. You stepped into youth ministry. How old are you? by the way? 36. <laughs> he stepped into youth ministry at 36 years old. Um, where I come from, uh, which isn't far away, uh, Xenia, um, youth leaders were like 21, 22, 25. Um, you're 36? Man, Debbie stepped into youth ministry. She's not 36. Um, and she's in children's ministry. Did you really understand anything about what you were going to do or what it meant to be in youth ministry at all? Not a <laughs> <laughs> Neither does Matthew. We're having a conversation tomorrow, my friend. Um, we need to rethink this youth pastor position. Um, just kidding. Just kidding. Wouldn't do that. Um, so you, you stepped out into something. You had no clue what it was. Absolutely. And how have you seen, A, how have you seen um, God use you? How have you grown as a result of that? And um, how, do you, how have you seen youth ministry for our teenagers? Because they're, they're here and they're watching you and their eyes are on you. Hi, guys, <laughs> girls. Um, how has that, I mean, how has that impacted them, do you think? I've made some new Yeah. 
Oh, boy. Oh, we got parents right now really questioning bringing their kids here to Wapak Nash. We teach scripture by Googling. Wow. Um, and that's, that's part of it, too. I mean, yeah. I kind of had a little reservation. Like, I'm not theologically trained or I've not been to college or anything. I just kind of stepped out and yeah. offered help. And some nights, we have a lot of kids over there. And yeah, we do. Um, and, and really, you've, you've been consistent with it. You, you've been there pretty much almost every week. Um, when, you, when you first stepped in, all you needed to do was throw a football. That's all you needed to do. Check. Check. That's right. But you, you have personally grown as well as a result of that. Um, and to kind of wrap this up here, it was really interesting what, what you said at the end of our conversation. We, we had about a 45-minute conversation on Wednesday, and, and uh, he said something. So I'm going to preface this with a question. If you could give, um, again, remember, he's not theologically trained. Um, <laughs> if you could give the people of Wapaknaz one word of advice, what would you give us? Keep your eyes open, keep your mind open, and keep your heart open. Yeah, and that's exactly what you stepped in back in 18 with. Open heart, open mind, your eyes were open, and God has shown up time and time again, and you've actually had to step into things that, that you weren't really comfortable with. And God has really opened your heart and your family uh, I've, I've watched your family, and you guys have grown leaps and bounds, and you've, you've tested waters, and you've walked out on things that you wouldn't have three years ago. And so I, I just want to say thank you, for, um, thank you for being a part of this, this family, and thank you for, for serving and shouldering some of the, the things that we do here, and thank you for praying. And uh, thank you for sharing your, 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 your story. You actually do have a story, and I think it's better than you think it is. And so, um, Father, I, I lift up my brother, uh, Steve, and I thank you for his heart. And I appreciate um, his willingness to, to share just where he is on his journey. And his journey's not over, um, just like ours isn't. Um, ours, for some of us, may begin today for the first time. For some of us, we're still walking. Lord, will you continue to deepen our faith? Provide us opportunities to deepen our faith in you. And uh, Father, may your hand be upon Steve as he is at Airstream working, doing the, the routine things. Um, will you use him to uh, bring glory to your name as well as bring people to, to you, Christ. And we, we thank you for his, his story. We love you. We praise you. It's in your name we ask, Jesus. Amen. Can we uh, give a thanks? To, thanks, brother. Man. So, you may. Thank you for sharing that. Folks, this is mutual here. Um, we just had our DNA class, our last DNA class on Saturday. Uh, not this Saturday, a week ago this Saturday. And uh, one of the things we talk about is the fact that Wapak Naz is, is, is an intergenerational ministry. Um, because there's value from being with a teenager and a kid. And there's value with being with a senior. Um, there's value with being with people that are in all different life stages um, because uh, we learn a lot from each other, we're encouraged by each other, and we're sharpened by each other. And so 
uh, I thank you um, to everybody who's been a part of investing um, their hearts, their time, and their finances, yes, their finances, in this body of Christ, because I firmly believe that this body of Christ will continue to grow, um, and people in this body of Christ will continue to deepen their life, and people will come to Christ because of you. Um, Whether you're a teenager, uh, a kid, a senior, a 36-year-old guy who doesn't know how to do youth ministry, um, yeah, because of you. So, uh, man, I, uh, one thing that Steve and I have in common is, is we love, we love to eat, and we, we love to cook. He loves to cook more than I do. Um, we, we sat down, and, and the reason he brought me curry was because we had a lunch. Uh, we, we had some great, great Thai food, and he was just pondering this Thai food and this curry that we had, and so he brought me some curry this, this Saturday, and, and so we, we, have, we have cooking in common. This is not my kitchen knife. Um, I forgot my kitchen knife at the house, um, but uh, I, I went and found this in the drawers in the kitchen here at Wapak Naz, and, and I, I noticed that this, I mean, I can run my fingers on this, the edge of this knife, and I know it's not getting cut. What I noticed with, with my knife, uh, my knife's in my, uh, my house is that uh, whether I use the knife or not, uh, the edge itself gets really dull. Um, you can use, the more you use your knife, the more you need to sharpen your knife. Um, but the more that the knife sits in the drawer, unprotected, the more it dulls itself. And I... I I kind of feel like that's a little bit like our faith. That whether we use it or whether we don't, the edge of our faith becomes dull and needs sharpened. Do you need to get your edge back? Do you need your, 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 your faith sharpened a little bit? Maybe because you've used it and used it and used it and you're starting to see some notches on that blade. Or maybe you haven't used it and it's starting to dull because the world that's in your drawer just keeps crashing against you. See, James, Jesus' brother, his half-brother, but his brother nonetheless, warns us that faith without works is dead, right? And I don't know if that's where you are today, if your faith is on the verge of death or is on the respirator gasping for breath, or Man, you are, you are pioneering in your faith, and you're stepping out. Regardless where you are, your edge probably needs forged. You need to have the edge of your faith sharpened. Do you need your edge back? I know that through my life, particularly in this time of my life, my edge needs sharpened a little bit. I have no doubt, and I do not say this um, flippantly, I have no doubt that this series, Forging the Edge, if you need to get your edge back, if you actually feel like you don't have an edge at all, and you need some things pounded in your life, I love watching Forge the Fire. Forge and Fire on the History Channel where they take a thing of steel, a block of steel, a ball of steel, a a spring of steel, and they create a weapon that can really be used with some force, with sharp edges. Even if you don't have an edge right now, this series, I firmly believe, can pound out an edge and sharpen an edge in your life.
that you need, that the world needs you to have, that this body needs you to have. And so we're going to step into the life, the life of uh, a prophet by the name of Elisha. Now, if you're new to Scripture, or if you're not new to Scripture, um, and you've been around Scripture a long time, it's very easy to get Elisha and Elijah confused. Elijah with a J, EJ I call him, he's one of the greatest prophets of Israel. In fact, he dueled about 400 prophets of Baal at one point, and they were all slaughtered. But immediately following this moment of, of faith, this brazen prophet, he went on the lamb running for his own life. In fact, he was running for his own life, and he asked God to take his life. Elijah found himself in a cave, and God came in the whisper. It was at this moment that Elijah, EJ, received a word from the Lord that he was to go anoint Elisha. It's Elisha's life that we're going to step into and learn about forging the edge of our faith. Elisha was mentored by Elijah. Because getting your edge back means you need somebody in your life to help forge and sharpen. Just kind of like Matthew invited Steve for hot chocolate at a coffee shop. In that moment, Steve's life got a little sharpened. He had to step into the fire. Elisha had Elijah. And in fact, Elisha saw so much in Elijah that he wanted a double portion of what Elijah had. And he was brazen enough and bold enough to say, I want that double portion. And God himself gave Elisha that double portion of his spirit. And so we meet Elisha in the ninth century. In the ninth century when Israel was in, 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 divisive, in a divisive life, state of life. In fact, they had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom where there was a king that was ruling in the northern kingdom and a king that was ruling in the southern kingdom. And in fact, most of the people in Israel at this time were worshiping the false god Baal. And it was at this time that God was rising up Elisha to bring the word. And in fact, Elisha, it's really interesting that this man there is no one else who has done more miracles in Scripture other than Elisha, other than Jesus Christ. Elisha is second to Jesus. And so we find this man who is audacious, who has a radical faith, an audacious faith, a ridiculous faith. Do you need your edge back? Well, let's find it. Let's get it. Because your edge isn't going to get back until there is fire. Until there is tension. Until you step into it. So, over the course of the next several weeks, probably through Easter, minus Family Sunday, we are going to step into the life of Elisha. You can read ahead if you want. It's found in 1 Corinthians. 1 Kings, 1 Kings 19 is where we're going to start today goes all the way through 2 Kings chapter 13. Will you please open the scriptures to 1 Kings? It's in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. Um, it's before 2 Kings, if that helps you. Um, yeah, I do know how to count. So... Uh, <clears throat> 1 Kings chapter 19 and uh, verse 19 through 21. Short section. And the scriptures will actually be up on the screen if you need to see them. If you can't find 1 Kings, which is before 2 Kings. Um, so, verse 19. So Elijah, EJ, went from there 
and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. That's P-H-A-T, not F-A-T. Shaphat. He was the original P-H-A-T. Uh, man, that's like a 90s joke. I'm really sorry. That was my childhood. Um, Elisha, son of Shaphat, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah, E.J., went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said. Then I will come back with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen, this is crazy stuff, man, and slaughtered them. He turned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. Heavenly Father, as we step into this story, as we learn about this prophet, Elisha, God, I hope and pray that, that I am clear, that I don't mess it up for you, that I don't mess it up for these folks. So I ask that you remove me from the equation and that you speak, that it's clear for our folks, that there are some handles for them to take the message out and apply it to their life. May it be simple, may it be concise, but may it be profound and impactful. And Father, for those of us that are on the edge of our faith, that it's so dull, that it hasn't been used, or those that of us who have been using our faith, that it just needs some sharpening. Father, may we get our edge back. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Here, Elijah meets Elisha. It's not a spectacular moment by any means, is it? Elisha is out plowing the fields. And in fact, most scholars think this is either his field and his oxen or his father's field. We have 12 pair of oxen. More than likely, his father or himself is fairly wealthy, but there's nothing extraordinary about Elisha's life. He's not a priest. He's not a prophet yet. He's not famous. He's not educated. He's a farmer. And unfortunately, in this time, we have seen the issue that has been on the national stage about farmers. It's not an easy task to be a farmer. It's not an easy lifestyle. Yet, Elisha gets up every day, puts the yoke on the oxen, puts his hand to the wooden plow, and he drives that plow into the earth, turning it over, guiding his oxen. The dude must have been strong. He keeps them straight. He's sunbaked. He's, his skin is so, so baked by the sun. His hands are blistered, and he does this day in and day out day in and day out. His olfactory senses are desensitized to the unrefined smell of earth and manure and oxen. And he does it faithfully day in and day out. You ever wondered what his scenery was like? What he saw every day? It didn't change. Monday, it was oxen rears. Tuesday, Oxen rears. Wednesday, wait for it. Oxen rears. Thursday, maybe. No. Oxen rears. Maybe through his tears, but oxen rears. Just in case that you were wondering what that looked like. There you go. There you go. Beautiful. Right? Day in, day out, oxen rears. That's what he did. I get up in the morning put on my cloak I get my grub and I plow the field and then I come in and I eat and then I go back out and plow the field then I come in and I eat 
and I go to bed. And then I get up, and we do it all over again. Does this not sound like your life? It may not be like, I mean, if you're checking out auction rears all day, I'd like to know because that's pretty interesting. But I know in this day and age, it sounds a little bit more like I get up, I get dressed, I get the kids up, I get the kids dressed, we get the food made, I pat them on the head as they go out the door, I, you get in the car, you go to work, you work, 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 you get a little frustrated, you eat, you work, 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 then you get in the car, you come home, you pick up the kids, you get food on the table, you help them with their homework, they go to bed, then you got to do everything that's left undone from the night before, then you go to bed, and then you get up, and then you do it all over again. Some of you are, I get up, I change dirty diapers in the morning, change dirty diapers in the afternoon, I change dirty diapers in the evening, and then actually at 3 a.m. I probably do that again. Oxen rears, right? Oxen rears. Our life and Elisha's life are almost similar. There's this monotony, this mundane routine in our life. However, what we must learn and understand with, with Elisha is that he was faithful with what he has been given. Right? Elisha was faithful with what he had been given. Folks, in the routine of your life, whatever that looks like, with whatever is in your hands, with whatever you were tasked to do, are you faithful with it? Are you faithful with it? Because as we read in the story, we won't really address it later, but as we read in the story, the people were benefited. Other people benefited by Elisha's faithfulness. Whatever has been given and entrusted to you, however small or little, if you are faithful with it, Christ said you will be given more. Are you faithful with the mundane and the monotony of your life right now? Whatever that looks like. But see, as I kind of picture this moment, as if it was on the big screen. Because Elisha, whatever day of the week it was, his scenery didn't change, and he was staring right at the end of an oxen. And he was plowing that field, and he was faithful. And then something happened. I kind of picture it as this, this famous prophet, Elijah, coming down the road, stepping into the field, of this farmer. And as if there was no time to waste, Elijah removes his cloak from his own body and in one fell swoop puts his cloak on Elisha and just keeps on moving. That mantle that he removed from his body and now put on Elisha's body, the weight of that beginning to soak over Elisha, he pulls the reins of the plow and of the oxen tight, and they stop dead in their tracks. And his eyes get large. Because this famous prophet of all of Israel has just put something on him, and he continues to go. And the weight of the meaning of this mantle overcomes him. This cloak, this animal skin, this wool... I, I kind of picture Elisha just kind of running his, his blistered fingers through it, realizing that what Elijah just did, the meaning and the message soaked deep into him. Without a word, Elijah said to Elisha, As I am, so you will be, John Opperman. John Opperman tells me that often. As I am, so you will be. Meaning, Ambrose, you're going to get old. <laughs> but just as John has said that to me, 
Elijah is saying that to Elisha. As I am, so you will be. As I do, so you are called to do. And now, Elisha, standing still, isn't looking any longer at the rears of oxen, but he's looking at the backside of Elisha going away from him with an opportunity along with him. So, what does Elisha do? Well, it says Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Have you ever wanted God just to kind of give you advance notice that your life was going to change? Like, Lord, he, he comes and says, hey, in two years, I just want you to know, your life is going to be upended and you are going to do something a lot different than you're doing right now. So what I'd like for you to do for the next two years, I want you to prepare for that moment. I want you to watch for it. I want you to prepare for it. But see, God doesn't do that. He doesn't give you or send any one of us a save-the-date card. Hey, save the date. Put it on your calendar. It's not how God operates. You look at all the stories in Scripture. God does not give you advance notice. He interrupts life, right? He interrupts your life. And quite frankly, with Elijah, he doesn't even give any instruction to what that interruption is going to look like. Abraham, God showed up and said, go to the land, I will show you. To Moses, he shows up in a burning bush, and you can summarize that whole discussion with, go! With David, he shows up while David is shepherding sheep, and he gets anointed. What an interruption. Peter, his brother Andrew, James and John, they're fishing. And all Jesus does is come along the sea and says, Follow me. Matthew, the tax collector, says the same thing. Follow me. There's not much instruction with that. He just interrupts life. Paul, on the road to Damascus, ready to imprison and basically put the hand to vote to kill these women, men, and children who are followers of Christ. And he shows up. God does not give advance notice for the interruption of life. There is a divine invasion and he interrupts. And he will interrupt. But folks, Elijah, Elisha stopped plowing, ran after Elijah. And he said, let me go home to kiss my mother and father goodbye and I will go with you. What didn't we see Elisha do? He didn't pray. He didn't go talk to the pastor. Pastor, should I do this? Should I do this, pastor? This is a great opportunity. No. Elisha said, I'm going. But did he understand fully the instruction? Because there was no instruction to really fully understand. No. Folks, you do not have to understand fully to obey immediately. However, the problem is, for a lot of us, we want God to show up. But when he shows up unexpectedly and interrupts our life, there are many of us that are not spiritually ready to obey immediately because we have not done the footwork day in and day out. Elisha didn't need to pray about this. He did not need to pray about this. He did not need to go seek wise counsel because he had done the footwork. He had been faithful with what he had been given day in and day out. Are you faithful with what you've been given day in and day out? When this opportunity presented itself, 
Wapak Nas. Let me just tell you, I didn't understand. I didn't have any clue what I was going to do. Steve even mentioned, I had no clue what to do. All I knew how to do was throw a football. Congratulations, throw a football. You do not need to understand fully to obey immediately. But I've got to ask you, are you doing the footwork? Day in and day out. So when that moment comes, you're ready to step into it. You're ready to step into it. This is a principle, a biblical principle, that you and I need to hold on to and apply to our life to get our edge back. Folks, God may actually be calling you right now to do something different than you have been. There was nothing wicked about what Elisha was doing. In fact, he was doing a good work. But there was an opportunity presented to him, and he had the opportunity to choose. Remain in the life that you're in, or take this offer that God is giving you. What are you going to do? So, next week, we're going to sit right here. And we're going to watch what Elisha does. Because what he does really doesn't make sense in, in 20th century, 21st century. Man, I'm still back in the 90s. Whew. What Elisha does as a result of this moment doesn't make sense at all. But when we start to unpack it, it makes complete sense. So, would you please stand? What's your edge look like? Is it dull? Is it chipped? Does it need refining? Does it need sharpening? Folks, all of us need to get our edge back. There's a world and there's a people that need your edge to be sharpened. Not only this body, but your community. We are represented by many, many communities in this room. Wapakoneta, Lima, Shawnee, Piqua, Bodkins, Sydney. Your community needs your edge sharpened. The people in your family need your edge sharpened. You need your edge sharpened. God's asking you just to step out. For those of you that don't have an edge, maybe this is a moment where you want that. You want to get it. You've never had it. And I just want to charge you. It's very simple. You just ask Jesus. Jesus, I give you my life. It's right here. Take it. Make my edge. Make it sharpened. Would you bow your heads with me? If that is you, if you feel like you haven't even been pounded out, but you've got something in you, there's a razor's edge in you. And Jesus is the one to sharpen that, to pound that out. I ask that right now you just pray along with me. It's a simple prayer. It's not complicated. Jesus, I give you my life. He's calling you to a greater life than you are living right now. He's calling you to a relationship with the Creator. Jesus, I give you my life. Will you pray that? Will you ask Him, Jesus, I give you my life. I want your life, God. Forgive me of my sins. 
This isn't the whole conversation. It's just the beginning of the conversation. If that was you, if you you prayed that prayer for the first time, while everybody's heads bowed, would, would you just raise your hand, please? If that was you today. If you're standing here and you know that your edge is dull, the edge of your faith is dull, and you want to get your edge back, I ask that you raise your hand and let me know because I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. I want to pray along with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Father, for those of us that have realized that our edge is dull and we need our edge back, we want it. We want it sharpened, and we want to be used by you. We want to be an instrument in your hands and the lives of people around us and our families and our kids and our community. Lord, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you help us step into what it is that you want us to step into. Maybe you've called us into something greater. Maybe you've called us to do something very, very simple. And though we don't understand it, Lord, help us step into it, though we don't understand it fully. Because we, we, we trust in the one who is instructing. We trust in the one who is asking, who's calling us to something greater. Lord, prepare our hearts for this week, for those opportunities that we have an opportunity to step out and share the faith. Lord, we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to get your edge back. I want you to be sharp people. Next week, we're going to get even sharper. I challenge you not only to come back, but I challenge you to invite somebody who you know has lost their edge. And I challenge you to invite somebody that you know who's never even had an edge of faith. Invite them in. Invite them into the conversation. We love you. We appreciate you. May you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And will you please, please, please love your neighbor as yourself. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Nas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you. And that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.